Welcome back, everybody. Today I'm here with Howie Stern. Um, Howie, do you want to give yourself a quick little intro? Hey, I'm Howie Stern uh, from Silverton, Colorado, and um, I'm an ultra runner and uh, basically adventure photographer. Nice. I think a lot of people nowadays know you as like an adventure photographer because from all your work at 200s, 100s, all these different events, like you're at Black Canyon every year, Havelina, like pretty major events. So it's really cool to see you out there, like creating cool images. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Think, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Uh, so yeah, I did not start out as a photographer though. Um, yeah, I've been an ultra runner probably since, God, I think my first 50 miler was in 1999. I was pretty young. And um, since then I went on to run some pretty cool stuff and uh, done hard rock a lot of times, Angeles Crest, uh, done a 200 miler, but mainly I just, you know, love to run and love to run far in the mountains just to see cool stuff, not for any particular reason other than I didn't like backpacking at the time. And it was a way to cover a lot of ground carrying very little stuff. Yeah, I think a lot of people get into running from backpacking. It's like, oh, backpacking is cool because you get to see stuff. But then it's like, oh, this yeah. pack sucks no matter what. <laughs> yeah, when I first started, like, I'd be running up these passes in the Sierra where I lived for a long time. And the backpackers would all get mad. They're like, how are you running up this? And I'm like, well, I'm just carrying, like, a bottle of water. And you got a 70-pound pack. So it's not too hard to go, like, 40 miles in eight hours versus, you know, a week. <laughs> I'm not carrying anything. <laughs> well, yeah, especially like like even 20 years ago when like ultralight backpacking wasn't a thing. It was like steel yeah. for, or aluminum frame backpacks and they're just super heavy and you're carrying all this stuff and it's like, it hurts. Yeah. <laughs> right. And people wore like big heavy leather boots and things like that. And I was like, yeah, that's not comfortable. I'll just throw a pair of whatever New Balance running shoes on and, and go for it. See where you wind up. <laughs> yeah. But how'd you even like get into the outdoor industry? Because you... Were you, um, you were kind of raised on the East coast, right? And you moved out West or how did, or am I, I mean, when I was, when I was a kid, I, yeah, I was from the East coast and then I moved to California in high school. Okay. Um, and I kind of got originally super interested in outdoor stuff in college when I was a ski racer and I raced up in Mammoth, um, and in Tahoe and just kind of fell in love with the Sierra and started, um, at that time I was just hiking um i guess i got into triathlon in college so that's sort of where like the endurance game kind of came from and then at some point got in way into rock climbing um, where that kind of took over my life and i stopped running i stopped riding stopped swimming and just did nothing but climbing and um and then later on i think uh i went through some stuff and anyway i got back into triathlon for a year but when i was training for an ironman I had a climbing friend who had done Western States and I was like, huh, that sounds interesting. A hundred mile trail. What's that about? And the place we used to climb at a lot was in the San Gabriel's in Southern California. And a lot of times when we'd be back going on the way back from climbing, he would say, Hey, can we shop it? Stop it. Shortcut saddle. My friend's training for the Angeles Crest 100. We just want to drop some water for him. And I'm like, Angeles Crest 100. What's that? And he's like, oh, it's, you know, a foot race from Wrightwood to Pasadena all along the trails there. And so that really got the gears going of kind of getting into that whole world. Because now it was like, well, San Gabriel's, I grew up in these mountains. Like, God, what would it be like to run 100 miles through these mountains? And 
you know, it just kind of snowballed from there. And uh, how I actually got into the industry really wasn't until 2014 when I went through a divorce and sold my condo and a friend in Silverton was like, well, I have a house there. If you want to live in it, just uh, pay the utilities and check out if you'd like Silverton. Cause you know, at the time I was, I had done hard rock I think six times. And so I fell in love with San Juan's and Silverton. And um, once out there, I was originally going to work on, an album because I was a musician and after like five months I just had writer's block I couldn't come up with anything and I was like well I don't want to go back to teaching and I want my dogs to be with me 24 hours a day so what am I going to do <laughs> and really it was a couple of friends um, that were photographers or filmmakers whether it was like Matt Trapp um, Chris Furman a few others I was like huh I haven't touched a camera in years, but maybe I could see, I've been running forever. Maybe I can bring that to a camera's lens. And that was sort of how I got into the whole, you know, shooting and outdoor industry-ish type stuff. Yeah. Oh, that sounds awesome. Like, it's interesting how I think like all the pieces of these, like, maybe like pieces of the puzzle of our lives kind of come together and like, make us yeah. do this because it's like like you did all these things like maybe some like maybe in the moment they're like bad things happen but then it's like yeah. oh the silver lining is like oh this made my life actually awesome even though it was miserable maybe for however many years or whatever yeah it was it was something i never even imagined like i took photography in high school and i and that was the last i touched it but like since high school it's like i'd done engineering or uh, played music full-time for a long time or was a teacher and you know, eventually it's like, I was kind of at this crossroads where like, I don't want to teach anymore. Um, I hate being stuck inside all the time. I want something where I'm my own boss. Like, I just don't want to work for anybody. And it's like, what should I do? And it just kind of came out of the blue, out of nowhere, just from actually uh, taking, you know, cell phone pictures of fall in the San Juans because it's so gorgeous. And I'd never seen the trees changing colors like that. And people seem to like the pictures. I was like, I should get a real camera. And once I got the camera, I was like, I should shoot running. <laughs> you know, it just, <laughs> it just kind of like, and there was no plan B. It was like, no, I want my dogs to be able to be with me all the time. So I'm going to make this work. I better get good and make it work. You know, really, it was ultimately all about my dogs initially. <laughs> um, I had no idea how I wanted to shoot, but I just knew that I had to, I had to make this work. Yeah, I think I think a lot of like like filmmakers or anyone that works in media kind of has that same mentality of like, this is what I want to do for whatever reason and it's like there's yeah. no plan b it's like this is my this is plan a and then that's it it's like ride or die 100 percent in and yeah. if it doesn't work it's like well i guess i'm kind of screwed <laughs> yeah yeah totally totally yeah i didn't yeah i couldn't think of anything else i wanted to do and um it just became pretty uh you got pretty obsessive about just going out and shooting stuff and and figuring out like or you'd see other stuff other people's stuff occasionally and go like well how they do that or whatnot i didn't really ever follow any other photographers um i just kind of like went by my own eye and what i thought was interesting and um 
kind of fell into my own niche by accident because most people or most things, you know, you saw the really pretty running shots. And at first I was going for that stuff. And it wasn't until I shot a 200 mile race. Um, it was the first edition of the Bigfoot 200. And that was 2015. And there really wasn't that many people out shooting and there was nobody shooting that race. I was hired to do it. And I think it was a 108 hour race and I slept about five hours and I started out just shooting, you know, like I went out to some of the pretty locations and whatnot. And I'm just like kind of winging it and improvising because I had never been there. So it's just kind of like show up, ask a few people, hey, where's some cool places to shoot and then just make it up from there. And I remember going to an aid station kind of at the near the end of daylight and it was 101 miles like Spencer Butte and having run a bunch of 100 milers you're like this is 101 miles wait there's still 104 miles to go <laughs> it just doesn't compute I'm like this would be a cool place to post up and I just would sit down at the aid station the runner you know runners are pretty spread out and they would just come in and you'd either talk to them usually or just watch their interactions with aid station people and I would just kind of start shooting and I remember, you know, shooting all night long, just sitting inside this pop-up tent because it was raining out. And you're just starting conversations with people, shooting some pictures, talking more, um, sometimes acting almost like a crew because, you know, they're going through a lot of stuff. And you're like, well, okay, I've, I've run for 38 hours. You know, like I know what it's like to be tired. And um, I think when Canvas saw the images at the end of the race, you know, all the stuff, not just running, but all the stories of the candid shots when people are kind of in that, you know, in that dark place or at the finish line, either exhausted or elated. Like it just kind of brought all the emotion to, to running to life as opposed to just, oh, yeah, that's somebody in a really pretty place, you know. Um, and then that kind of became my focus more of is just capturing telling the story of that emotion the struggle the pain i don't know why i gravitated towards the sort of darkish side um but that's where i seem to start getting noticed and known i don't know <laughs> yeah that gives me like a lot of um, a lot of thoughts running through my head about that because i think first of all to to shoot whatever activity you're doing whether it's running cycling climbing whatever you have to have done that event yeah. or that sort of sport like a lot and like know what it's like 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 i don't know like if somebody comes out to shoot 100 and they're just from like npr and they live yeah. in in dc their idea of going outside is going to the park or whatever the mall downtown like they're yeah. gonna have a very different type of image than what you would do because you had been there before you've been in those situations and yep. i think like i think your style of shooting reflects that because i think it's really easy not easy but it's easier to go out and just like shoot a pretty generic image of a pretty landscape like use the backdrop as it's just like a, a crutch almost like it is beautiful and i love shooting images yeah. like that but yeah. at the same time it doesn't have that same emotion of like okay somebody's at 150 of a race of a 200 they're broken right. down and you're able to catch that moment but in a very yeah. like sly is not the right word but like kind of discreet way so they're not yeah. posing for the camera doll it's very real and raw and i, I love that about your your style of shooting oh, well Thank you. Thanks. Um, yeah, I mean, I try to capture yeah, organic images of people kind of in the moment. Um, 
whether or not sometimes, like I said, I'm sitting right next to them and they know what I'm doing, but they're, they're so comfortable that they just, that's the goal is that somebody's so comfortable with me that I can be right there next to them doing my job and they don't notice or they don't mind. Um, and they're just themselves or sometimes, yeah, you're kind of pulled back a bit and you're just being that voyeur into a world, but it's, a lot of it comes from having been in those situations. Yeah. You just, your eye just gets tuned to like, you know what you felt like when you were doing these things and you're just kind of looking for certain stuff and, um, and see, you know, and it, sometimes at races now there's so many people out, um, including at aid stations or like a lot of, crew aid stations where now people are like going to their cars or going into vans when they get crewed at these races it kind of takes out a lot of stuff because you you lose that interaction that you had prior because you know now you've got a runner just focused with like the really close friends with them around them or, or whoever it is and you can't kind of can't get into that world they just keep in their own little private shell and then as soon as they're done they run off you know or they might pop in and out of an aid station go to a van and then they're gone like um which kind of gets frustrating yeah i think it's it kind of shows how maybe in a sense like the sport is changing quite a bit in that regard because like 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 when i started running there was no crewing like that it was like you kind of roll through an aid station and maybe you have some crew people there but it's all very much in the open yeah. It's like you're saying, like a 200s now, it's like you run a 200 and everybody has like a support vehicle with a bed and a fridge and maybe, or maybe yeah. a rooftop tent. And so it's like you come into mile, whatever of an aid station and you go sleep for 15 minutes inside this, like a, a truck or something. It's like, well, how am I supposed to shoot images of that? It's, yeah. It's yeah. Kind of frustrating. It, it's, it's very different. Like, I mean, even nowadays in hundred Ks, even 50 miles, like people that, you know, they allow pacers and, and, and all these big crews come out. And when I first started, you know, you ran a hundred K, you just ran alone yeah. <laughs> um, or a 50 miler. Like nobody got crewed at a 50 miler. Like it just didn't happen, but it's, you know, I mean, things evolve. Um, it's just figuring out ways to evolve how you, how you cover it um, and being strategic about it. But it is definitely like the game constantly changes for sure. And figuring out your place in it and how to cover it is an ever changing target. Um, and, you know, ultimately you just got to be yourself and follow your eye. There's, there's so many people out shooting nowadays. Uh, it, you know, it get it gets tough at times. Like even at like, you know, the finish line here, I was at black Canyon the other day and there were two people that were shooting like, one might have been stills one had a movie camera and they're like hey can you move you're in our shot <laughs> and somebody else kind of looks at them and goes well you know he's actually the photographer that's hired for this event so <laughs> perhaps you might want to go find a different spot to shoot because you know that's the shot he's hired to get <laughs> yeah i think the, the the growth of media is really interesting because obviously we both work doing similar things like yeah. i mainly do video you mainly do photo but it's yeah. interesting to see like how many more people are out shooting. Cause like, like when I started shooting, I'd go to Western States and it's like, like me, like Matt Trappy, maybe a couple of the random people like out filming, like Dean Leslie from, um, used to shoot a bunch of stuff for Solomon back in the day. And that was yeah. basically it. Like even the finish line at States was like pretty mellow. And now yeah. you go and it's like, whoa, this is a mess. And it's very like, 
there's, there's people like monitoring media and it's like very structured where like before oh, yeah. it's kind of like just, just roll up to the finish line and start shooting. Yeah, even I can say as a runner, like, um, I, like the first time I ran Hard Rock was in 2005. And I remember, you know, all those initial years, there was maybe one person, maybe two people out on the entire course shooting at Hard Rock. Um, and I don't remember, like, anybody at the finish line okay granted i was running i don't see when the winners came in but i really don't recall like you just didn't really see media at that race and then i remember the 2014 race and i was running with billy simpson and we were going up grant swamp pass um which clockwise so it's only the second climb and when you came out off of the regular hard rock course from the cam traverse onto the ice lakes trail all of a sudden, the entire course from there up to the top of the pass, about a mile and a half section, was lined with people, with cameras, whether they're still cameras, video cameras, cheering what had happened. And, you know, of course, me and Billy are looking at it, what is going on? <laughs> well, that was the first year that Killian did Hard Rock. And all the media, like, everybody came out and it was really a strange experience as a runner used to running in this super remote place where there's nobody but a couple you know like there would be a couple friends or spectators would be at the top of the pass but now it's nothing but like just camera lenses for like a mile and a half and it's like wow what's going on and at the pre-race meeting there's like film crews and all this stuff and and that was kind of when like say hard rock changed because every year after that it became a bit of a it was an odd bit of a media circus um with crews just following runners all over the place and then that spread you know it's just like where you were saying you know like when you shot states you know there was nobody around and then media started to become a big part of things and um yeah and like i said we're both part of media now we're part of that whole thing and I think the challenge becomes as more and more media are out there. It's like when I work around you or we work around each other, it's like, you know, there's kind of like this dance. You like, you kind of pay attention to who's in your shot. Are you in somebody's shot? And you try to, you know, you, you communicate with each other. You try to work with each other. So we're not like stepping on each other's toes. Right. You know, it's, um, it's kind of an important part of the thing so that everybody can get their shot without, just everybody getting in everybody else's shot <laughs> yeah and i think it's an, like, an interesting thing because it's like on the escarpment for example at western states like it's, yeah. just, it's such a mess with like there's a ton of people because it's pretty accessible right like you can go run up yeah. there in the morning like and they do have like a yeah. media truck for all like official media and stuff but like it's essentially it's public property so anybody can go up there with the camera and start shooting but yeah. it, it's it's kind of hard because like okay I have to say you're following one specific athlete or like you're shooting for Solomon or whatever. It's like I need to shoot so-and-so yeah. and so-and-so and so-and-so. Yep. But then it's like everyone else is trying to shoot that same image and it requires yeah. a lot of coordination. But I think a lot of newer people and like, this is not to like dog on people by any means. Just, they just don't know. They just don't have that experience. So in their head, they're like, I'm going to get this shot and that's all that matters. But they yeah. don't understand that everyone else there is trying to do the same thing. 
And it's really important to coordinate a little bit, like just say hi. I'm like, Hey, like I'm shooting, say I'm shooting Jim and you're shooting Lucy or something. It's like, well, yeah, let's let each other like get our shots. Cause that's, that's all why we're here. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. for instance, um, here's where communication like worked great at Western States last year. Um, one of the things that's become big in a lot of races are these, you know, the live casts, um, people following runners with, you know, little iPhone photo uh, on gimbals or whatever they're doing to do the live cast. And at the finish line of States, there was, as the elites are coming through the top men, the top women. And in this case, it was the top women, the, the first place woman was coming through and there's a follow cam person running literally right in front of the leader as she's coming down the final shoot and basically blocking almost everybody's shot. And you're just like, Oh my God, like this is, this is the race winner of the States and you can't get a clean shot because of a follow cam. Um, and so I actually went over to that person, you know, and calmly and I said, Hey, by the way, do you realize that when you're on the inside going in front of a runner, you're you're getting in the way of every single person's shot and and the person actually didn't realize it they thought they were out of the way they had no idea until i happened to mention to them and you know we worked out he's like oh well if i stay on this side of the runner and shoot from the side is that cool i'm like that's totally fine if you shoot on that side you know nobody's shooting over there you'll be totally out of the shot you still get your follow cam shot of them coming into the finish line and you're not going to get in the way and you know, he even sent a message after the race thanking me for letting him know about that, you know. And, you know, again, it was just simple communication because not everybody realizes. Because um, it gets, it does get frustrating when you're there to shoot certain athletes. Um, like even at Black Canyon, that my top three, I think, female runners, there's somebody running right behind them holding a camera as they come across the finish line, all three people. And you're like, you know, couldn't you use a long lens to get that same shot from behind? Because now you've, you've ruined, you know, the other 20 photographers who are standing behind the finish line. They, they've got you kind of like in their shot where they don't need to see that. Like, you don't want to see if like cameramen running behind the winner, the last hundred meters of the finish line. <laughs> it's kind of like the sacred spot of that's for the runner. That's the runner's time, you know? There's other yeah. ways you could probably get that shot. One hundred percent. I think, I think what we're kind of like talking about is just like it's kind of like a mixture of growing pains in the sport as the sport yeah. gets bigger and like more people are interested in like why people run a hundred plus miles or whatever. But then yeah. also just so many new people coming in that don't understand the media perspective, and also just like a lack of communication because it's like what you were saying. It's like you're just like, oh hey, like you just talk to that guy, and then he was totally okay with it. And I think yeah. that's really important that like hey like. I say I'm shooting video and you're shooting photo. We want a similar shot. We can coordinate that. And it's, it's not even a problem. It's just like, oh, cool. Like, let's just work with each other. It's like, yeah, we're not shooting for the same company necessarily, but maybe we need to shoot yeah. something similar. And just by chatting about it for like five seconds, it's like, it's cool. And I think most people honestly, like, are just kind of like, they just don't know. And they're not trying yeah. to be like rude about it. They just don't know. They've never been in that situation before. Right. No, exactly. Yeah. A lot of it is just not really knowing or yeah because you're new to it and you're just but you're just tunnel visioned on like this is my shot i'm gonna get it or this is my friend i'm gonna get it this is my 
my boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever it is, husband, wife, you know, you're going to like, you're just all cost going to get the shot, not realizing, oh, there's all these other people out here who, you know, like this is their living, <laughs> um, you know, so just like being cognizant of stuff, just like I'm always, you know, trying to pay attention to who's shooting what so that I'm not completely like getting in the way of somebody's shot, you know? Yeah. It, and I guess like, to be totally open about it, I've probably been that person before too. Like, oh, maybe I'm in your shot or someone else's shot. I just don't realize it. Because sometimes you do get kind of hyper-focused, right? Like, oh, I don't know about you. I put, a, I put a camera in front of my face and like, I'm just like, okay, blinders on. I'm doing this thing. Yeah. Um, so it does take a little bit of like, like you're saying, situational awareness or cognizance to yeah, um, just like be aware of what's oh, going on. Yeah. I mean, I do that too. I try to get more situationally aware as time goes on. Yeah. But if it's like, if I'm hired by a brand or something to shoot a specific runner, then it's like, yeah, you get super hyper-focused and you usually, you know, you try to like sometimes tell people like, Oh, Hey, you know what? This is my runner. I like, can I stand over there? Like, can I get that shot? And most everybody's cool. I've had people occasionally be like, Nope, I'm standing here. This is my spot and I'm not giving it up. And you're like, all right, well, interesting. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> even though like those people are super frustrating i do think they are kind of like the odd one out or like a rarity yeah just, like, for the most oh, part yeah. like just in the running outdoor industry in general people are pretty cool so it's like oh hey oh, like so and so i want to get the shot they're like okay like whatever and it's like not yeah a big deal. like generally right yeah. yeah i mean at the end of the day yeah, it's running you know it's yeah. it's, <laughs> it's, it's not the olympics um but you know you, you try to do the best you can you try to everybody you know try to stay calm friendly whatever and have a good time because nobody wants to have like a bummer thing going on <laughs> yeah or like say you're like grumpy at 3 a.m on top of the escarpment and then you're tired all day from shooting states and then it's yeah. the next day at 5 a.m and you're just like exhausted it's like those things are just going to kind of snowball and snowball and snowball more and more and cause oh, an yeah. Issue. Yeah, yeah 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 speaking of that though like like just thinking of like how much effort goes into shooting because like Western States or hard rock or even more so like a 200, like you mentioned, it's like these cutoff times yeah. are like four plus days. Like it's a long time to be out there. So like in a sense, yeah. it's like an ultra in itself, but like it is like its own form of suffering. It's own little suffer fest, like running 200 miles is hard enough, but then also like shooting 200 miles is just like, Oh my gosh, like I'm going to be awake for three to four days. Like it, it's yeah. kind of wild, huh? It's, you know, it looks like glamorous jobs sometimes from the outside, but the reality of you know being an outdoor photographer is it's it's a lot of work it's a lot of um you know if you're shooting a 200 there's a lot of pre-planning you got to look at you know finding locations um coordinating times like when do you think runners are going to be places um and usually among multiple photographers how do you want to like leapfrog stuff where's the interesting stuff on the course uh, you know, you're looking at uh, GPS tractors to see where people are concentrated or where the leader's at. You know, you can have, you got usually a 60-hour difference between first place and last place in some of these races. And, you know, it's a lot of super early mornings to get that certain light. Um, it's trying to figure out how you're going to sleep, whether you're sleeping in your truck, in the back of the truck, in a rooftop tent, in a, in a van, like, um, and by the time you're at day three or day four, you know, you are, you're really tired and, you know, and, and you're shooting finish lines and going back on the course and you're just like, it's, you want to do the best job you can 
and your mind is fried and you want to still be super focused because like say for a 200 when somebody crosses that line maybe it's their first time maybe it's their 10th time but you're trying to catch memories that are going to last a lifetime for people and maybe they only do one one of those races whether it's 100k 100 mile whatever they might be the only time they do it maybe it's their first but you want to be there fully present to do the best you can to capture it um because you know as time goes on you're in the sport long enough not everybody is around on this planet forever and sometimes like that memory you capture of somebody could be the world for them their relatives um because i've had the case where yeah you're you're not at the finish line for one reason or another and you miss a moment and then that person's no longer around and then you're you're sad because you you miss something for somebody that now their their family doesn't have for the rest of their lives i know that sounds deep but (laughs) no but it's true though it's like because i think i don't know i kind of look at it just like oh i'm just shooting photos like in the end like shooting a photo is very simple right like anybody can take an iphone picture we can all take pictures like it doesn't anybody can push a button but to be there in the right moment and shoot something that's meaningful in a way that like really resonates with those people and then like you're saying if it is like maybe it is like maybe they like this happened before where i think somebody leaving either wasatch or western states on their way home they got in a car accident and died and like that's a real possibility so if you're able to capture an image like kind of like the last moments of that person's life like not that this is going to happen all the time right yeah if you do it's like that image could be like something that that family's going to cherish forever and it's like oh yeah it's an interesting way to look at it when you mentioned that wasatch one i was actually at that race i was it was the year after I ran the race and I came back to pace a friend the last 50 miles. And when I was at Lambs Canyon, I was actually talking to that guy for about 20 minutes in the aid station before he left while I was waiting for my runner to come in. And so, yeah, when I found out he passed away in an accident the next day, like, yeah, that's kind of like a gut punch. You're like, wow, you know, life's pretty fragile. Um, but you know, on a happier note of that kind of thing, <laughs> I remember shooting a race in Washington. I think it was back when they did the Bigfoot 120 in the fall, when which is like the worst time possible to run in the Pacific Northwest because there's nothing but like straight rain forever. And there was this one guy, um, Mick Scott, who had bought a photo from the finish. And he just had the, the coolest comment that just sort of makes it all worth it. And he's like, you took a picture of me that made myself see myself in a way I had never seen myself before. He's like, I never thought of myself as an athlete. And he's like, something about what you captured just made me see something different in myself that I never saw. And to me, like, that's, that's what it's all about if you can capture somebody and just there's something about their essence that you get that moves people whether it's them or strangers or friends like what more could you ask for you know that's that's like ultimately what i'm trying to go after is something that will get people to stop and think and get some sort of emotion out of them yeah, I think that ties back into what we were talking about initially, where 
if you're if you're just from like so you're out of the element out of the sport out of the community you don't know how to shoot images like that and i think you probably just do that kind of subconsciously it's like oh this is a great shot and you can capture that instead of just somebody like i don't know some dude who never runs or anything just goes and sticks a camera in somebody's face like it's a very different way and i don't think that's something you can like really teach somebody it's like it has to be either innate or taught or kind of learned through all those years of running and being in the outdoor industry. Yeah. And yeah. And some people, I mean, there are some people that don't really run those things, but some people have the eye. They just have the, the, the somehow the connection to see certain things and, and nail that. And, but a lot of it too is, yeah, just, and maybe it just comes from, there's like a diesel truck next to me it's so loud <laughs> i can't hear it <laughs> um can you hear it no not at all oh good uh, but yeah it's just rattling my brain um <laughs> yeah i think it's just you know looking for those moments and connections that you know maybe i've had i think for me almost like i've had a lot of dark stuff in my life before and you can kind of you get a feel for struggle and you just get tuned to looking for that kind of stuff um i know scott me and scott i scoot shoot with scott rocus a lot and he always jokes like if there's happy shots like scott will always get those and there's like sad and suffering shots i seem to like <laughs> always find that stuff i don't have as many smiling people in my camera i don't know why i mean i obviously get those too but usually a lot of times it's just like blown out ultra runners who been through a war <laughs> <laughs> no, i think like i don't know not to get like too deep or like out of whatever you want to call it but like i think we kind of shoot like how we feel and like we edit in that same way and like yeah. things that are interesting to you is like reflected into your in your camera image like whatever you're yeah. shooting is kind of reflective of what's inside of you like you shoot what's important like and emotionally yep. just like whatever's there kind of comes out in a way it's 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 interesting i think yeah yeah um and i think even in the um when it comes to like you know the pretty running shot like even as a runner when i'm running through these pretty landscapes like i'm not always necessarily thinking of myself as this this tiny little human in this giant world but it's more like probably more like an animal where you're you've got this awareness of what's around you and and i don't know like i it's like, I just focus on like, there's the soul right there in this beautiful place. And I'm trying to see their face <laughs> and their body language in that place. Whereas like the tiny, the tiny runner in the big landscape, I get a little bit of a disconnect because I can't see what the runner is doing. Even the landscape is gorgeous, but I like to see the face. I like to see their body language of what's going on. Uh, but it's interesting working with different people. Like I, I was doing some photo shoots with a friend in the Sierra and uh, Jeff Kozak. And he, in his mind, when he runs, like he is the tiny runner in the big giant space. And when I was shooting him, I was still shooting in my style of, you know, more of the tight on the runner. And you, you start to realize it's like, no, you got to adapt. Like if I want to capture his essence, I have to kind of bring his thing to my lens and make, and make adaptations. Cause then you could actually start to see what makes his soul happy, which is being that small person 
in the big giant landscape because if you do it with the tight stuff then you could see it like it looks awkward because that's not his comfort zone that's not where his like heart is being if that makes sense yeah so if i'm understanding what you're saying it's like you have you definitely have your style but you also kind of have to adapt your style to the subject and the situation yeah 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 for sure for some kinds of things you know at least when they're cognizant of it <laughs> yeah you know maybe in a race i can do my kind of thing but when you're just out there trying to capture them for like a book project or whatever it is you know sometimes yeah you just got to adapt to where it is in their comfort thing and then their inner side will shine more you know definitely something i've been thinking a lot about recently like i just i've been driving a lot for different things and like yeah. different topic for another day, but I've been running a lot without headphones and I, I love it, but it gives me more time just to think. And I just have all these, like my mind wanders a lot more. And oh, yeah. I, just, I just been thinking a lot about all the different creative type people, like media people in the industry. Like, like for example, you and like Matt Trappy shoot different images as far as still images go. Like Billy yeah. Yang and I shoot very different type of video projects. Um, yeah. Alexi Berg shoots very different type of stuff than we do. Like Grant, he lives in Europe and the culture's different. And yeah. like some of these other people, it's just like, it's really interesting to see like people's styles and like, we're all a little oh, bit yeah. different and we're all shooting the same sport, but our, our way of looking at it is very different. And it's cool yeah. to see that. And like, I love how there's room for that in the industry where it's not just like every shot is only little person, big landscape. It's like, you know, we have these oh, really yeah. emotional images. We have these images, we have these videos. And it's like, it's really cool to see. Cause like, like Billy's like um, style is more like a vlog type style for the most part. Like, that's yeah. really cool to a lot of people. Then there's other people that want a more just like standard video type format or somebody yeah. wants to watch like a Nat Geo TV show. It's like, they're all yeah. video, but they're very different. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's room for so many styles and um, it's, it is cool to see what everybody's eyes are. Um, you know, some people are super creative. Some people choose to use that creativity, like in editing, there's different styles of editing stuff. Um, some people, yeah, when they first start out, they tend to copy and then maybe, you know, they fall into their own style. Um, you know, th there's room for everything for sure. And it is interesting to see the different ways. Like I can shoot an event with um, Alexis Berg. We can be standing practically literally right next to each other. And it's cool to see the differences in, in what we capture. You know, it's not, it's not the same. Heck, we're even shooting the same camera, <laughs> but it's cool to see just our eyes process things slightly differently. Um, it's neat stuff to see. Yeah. Speaking of that, like, it'd be cool to do a video project like that. Like where, like say you have like you and Alexis, like out shooting Western States or hard rock or something yeah. and just following you guys. And it's like, okay, like this is what, how he shot. This is what he shot. And just like showing yeah. the differences there because you guys are very different people but you yeah you all you both shoot and your styles are so different it'd be really cool just to see that where like and then like what's going on in your head versus what's going on in his head in the moment right kind of yeah i mean i i even think that too and like we shot hard rock not literally together last year but a ton of places yeah we were pretty much side by side um shooting whether it was grand swamp whether it was start the finish or yure or wherever and um it was cool to see the differences and you know, it's like anything there's times just like shots he got, you're like, Oh dang, man, I wish I would have got that shot. Like I was right there. How did I miss that? Or, um, you know, and it's inspiring. And 
but it's cool too like you get something like that like again it's that dance you know you can work around each other you see what each other's doing and sometimes you step back let them do their things other times they step back let you do your thing but it is it's really fun to see the different um end results of of what people get kind of in similar places yeah 100 percent. and i don't know it's fun like i i love seeing that and it's just cool to see like too like if you follow all these different people it's like okay what did they get from from states or from hard rock or utmb yeah or and it's it's crazy. oh yeah and, and there's you know some people they just have such a definitive style you see the image and you're like oh i know that's alexis's images or like i know that's jordy's image you know you can just you can tell and or miguel really you just like look down and then you look at the credit and you're like yep i got that right you know it's kind of a fun game to play <laughs> you're like a little like quiz for yourself like oh who shot this yeah yeah i mean it <laughs> it, it it starts to there's like a handful i can always tell it's it's their work you know yeah what do you think about like i know we already kind of touched on this but um billy and i have spoken about this before i think while we're out camping sometime but just the, yeah. the act of like suffering for the art or suffering for the image because like like just a little personally i guess like when i first started shooting like i graduated college I had some kind of like nonsense like seo job and i yeah. wanted to start shooting full-time like i'd always shot like since i was a teenager but at the time i was like man like i'm broke but i want to do this like i moved <laughs> into my truck at the time like this old beat-up yeah. ford ranger had a camper shell yeah. in the back camper shell wasn't even like one that fit properly like the color was right. off type thing like just like totally like disaster yeah. But I was like, okay, yeah. I'm going to do like what I can to like make this work for my career. Kind of like what you said earlier, like you're, it's your plan A and there's no plan yeah. B. It's not like a plan yeah. A and a half. It's just like plan A. And yeah. like, as I started shooting though, I was like, man, like the, the more I suffer, I just felt like the better images I got and not like suffering just to suffer, but like, okay, yeah. I'm going to go do this long hike in the summer or the winter or something to get this one special shot. And you're not shooting thousands of images. You're shooting one like very specific thing. And yeah. I, I think that applies so much. Like if you want to get good at something, you can't just take like the soft, easy images, like at the finish line. It's like, no. if, you, if you went to hard rock and just went to the high school, it's like, yeah, it's boring. But if you yeah. go out, like go grant swamp or like handies or something or whatever basin, yeah. like, you're going to need some rad images. So like, do you feel like there's a lot of value in suffering for the art? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's sort of a lot of times, I mean, that's kind of where, a lot of the magic is is not just not just taking you know it's like in life just if you take the easy way out all the time you know be in that comfort zone you're never going to see what you're capable of and you're never going to usually wind up with those ex exceptional moments um and so yeah for instance i remember you know shooting the baldy the baldy marathons which is kind of like a spin-off of Barkley. It was a five loop hundred mile event with, you know, a stupid amount of climb, you know, like over 50,000 climb. And I went out there once and you're just, you're covering the event all day on, and you're hiking all over the mountain, climbing, you know, climbing up thousands and thousands of feet at altitude with a big heavy pack while managing Mickey and Joey. <laughs> um, and you know, as, as it's getting towards sunset, you're just like, I'd already gotten a lot of good shots, uh, including bighorn sheep with runners behind them. And, and you're just like, I really should hike to the summit for sunset because I come, you're looking at the clouds going, I should just hike to the summit, but you're really tired and it's really windy. And you're just still like, 
I have to do it. <laughs> and so you hike up to the summit, which is like over 10,000 feet. And, you know, again, you've been up since three in the morning or whatever. And you get up to the top and you go over to the backside because having been on that trail, you know, there's a trail that comes up this ridge on the backside of the mountain with the whole San Gabriel's backcountry opening up. And you're just sitting there and you know, most of the entire field is either out of the race or they're, they're just past. And you just see the clouds building and you can see the sun and you're just sitting there like shivering, <laughs> shivering for like 40 minutes going universe, one runner, <laughs> just give me one. Cause you can see the sun getting low. You can see these clouds that were in the, the valleys of the peaks behind just like welling up. You're like, this is going to be what you dream about. Like the epic sunset where there's sun and there's killer clouds and everything's going to light up and you're sitting at 10,000 feet on a summit ridge that's somewhat defined of like light colored granite and you're like come on just give me one person and then you just see that you see something in the distance moving and you're like yes and then as they get closer you realize not only is it a person but it's a good friend of yours. You're like, oh, this is going to be even better. <laughs> and then you see another person behind them a little ways. And not only is that just a random person, it happens to be a friend too. Um, I got probably two of the most epic sunset shots I've ever gotten in my life by just sitting up there and being so numb, I could barely operate the controls on my camera. And at the time I was shooting Sony and I was cursing it because the A9 had these tiny ass little buttons and you know, you're just like, I can't. So yeah, it's just sitting there, like taking that extra effort. Yeah. I'm going to go to the top. I'm going to sit in a windstorm and utterly freeze just waiting and praying that somebody's going to come because you know, when they do come, it's going to be magic. And I got those two shots and actually got a whole series of shots of those people. And as soon as they pass, you're just like throwing all your stuff in your bag as quick as you can, throwing your backpack on. And you don't care that it weighs a ton. You're running all the way down the bottom of the mountain because you just, you want to feel your legs and body again. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's the kind of stuff. It's just, yeah, going that extra mile um, to get that shot that maybe nobody, you know, nobody else was around to get or they just went you know, only, you know, half mile out of an aid station or something like that, just where they're, you know, shit. Sometimes there's like an amazing shot a half mile out from the aid station. It's, it's not like you have to always go far, but a lot of times, yeah, it involves doing something. Yeah. That involves discomfort. <laughs> um, whether it's waking up crazy early, cause you got to hike in like three hours to get to something at sunrise you know, or hiking three hours in the dark because it was a sunset shot. Like it's just worth it a lot of times to go find those places, find those moments that just not that, that becomes special. Um, or even entire jobs going to places that are so inhospitable, but you know, as a life altering trip, <laughs> Yeah, speaking of uh, inhospitable places, so uh, what was it like a month ago or so? You went to Baffin Islands, right? It was, yeah, yeah, it was about a month ago, I guess now. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it was 
let's talk about that because you went with Ray. How do you say his last name? Zahab? Zahab? Zahab, yeah. Okay, you went with Ray and Zahab. But like, how did that whole thing come together? Had you just met him at a running event before and then um, he invited you to come out or? Yeah, so his wife had run a bunch of the 200 mile races and um, he had liked my stuff of her from those races. And I was at the Moab 241 year when she wound up coming in second place to my friend Dennis's wife, Sarah, who won. And But I remember at the last aid station, this guy comes up to me and you know, he's, he's, oh, you know, I'm Ray and love your work. And, you know, he shot my wife. And, you know, at the time I'd been up for like three days or whatever. My <laughs> brain's just rattled. And he starts telling me, he's like, oh, I, I do all these Arctic crossings and, and, and de- I've run across the Sahara Desert and Death Valley and, and all these like just really like out there, long human powered, um, expeditions whether it was using his feet uh, skis uh, fat biking and he's like i'd love to get you out to shoot these things you know and you know of course at the time you're like okay there's this guy like talking all this stuff you're like that sounds really cool but is this ever going to happen and then i remember we were on that ifit shoot up in toronto and at that expo and ray was on stage and he's like pointing out look oh there's how he's dirty and i'm like whoa it's ray <laughs> um and we talked a little more there and we had some stuff planned and then COVID hit and, you know, everything got put on hold. And then um, we kept talking. We did like a little thing in Death Valley last year, I think. Um, but he was telling me, he's like, I've got an Arctic trip planned for this winter up on Baffin Island. And um, at the time he 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 wasn't feeling the greatest and he discovered that he had a, a rare type of cancer and but it was treatable but he was going to be going through chemo and he really wanted to keep this trip going and so it, it was going to be in the middle of chemotherapy like scheduled in between the the um, injections and it was just going to be short it was going to be a week and um he's like i'll sa- i'll send you up there we'll you know, get all the gear um, and all this stuff and we're gonna we're gonna ski a few hundred kilometers ski and hike a few hundred kilometers and you and a videographer will be on snowmobiles and moving along and we're gonna camp out for like six days straight and he's like you know but i'll warn you you know the temperature is gonna be like you know it's gonna be like negative 50 negative 60 (laughs) continuously and you know in your head you're like well i live in silverton you know it gets to like negative 25 in the morning Granted, it gets to positive 25 in the day, um, but I think I can handle the cold, but this will be an interesting challenge. And, you know, he was using it also for me as he wanted to get my feet wet shooting in that type of environment. Would I even like shooting in that type of environment? Because he has other bigger projects on the horizon um, that he wanted me to be a part of. And you know how like any big project is you don't believe it until the tickets are like in your hand. Um, and I remember sometime in the late fall, maybe it was even December. It was like the tickets finally appeared, but it was supposed to be in January. And like two weeks before it he's like we have to postpone it because it's been too warm there it's only been like 35 below and the sea ice hasn't formed (laughs) (laughs) 
and we needed the sea ice because we were going to be going up and down these fjords into these valleys and stuff like that and you're like and he's like we're just going to put it off a couple of weeks until february and you know because there's a little party that gets worried you're like oh crap you know we're almost there but you know then a new set of tickets appeared and you're like okay and um he was going to get me this gear by a uh, Canada goose. Cause he kind of like, he's sponsored by him, but he also works with them to develop this Arctic gear. Cause like not many people go out in that stuff to test it. And Ray, like that's like his thing. And so, yeah, in February of this year, I, I flew out to Canada to Quebec where he lives. And then we hopped on a couple more planes out to uh, Kikatarjak, which is on Baffin Island. And Nobody goes there in the winter. <laughs> uh, it's a tiny little town of 500. And, you know, you step off the plane at night and you're just like, yeah, it's pretty cold. But it's only the at the coast, it's not terrible. It's, you know, maybe in, it was maybe negative 35. And, you know, Fahrenheit. Um, and you're like, well, yeah, this is pretty chilly. And I remember going out trying to, it was a full moon then too. Like it was the worst time to try to shoot the Northern Lights. You know, I remember walking outside with a tripod and you're, you're trying to focus on the stars and you're just like, wow, it's, it's pretty cold. And one of the times I went outside, um, there was like two doors on the hotel and I closed, I closed the outer door. And then just after I walk away, I'm like, I wonder if that locked. And I go back to the door and I'm like, Oh shit. <laughs> I'm locked out of the hotel and I'm just in my I'm just in my like sweatpants and like a super light Patagonia jacket. I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> Murphy's Law has stepped into play and I've only been here for like, you know, two hours. Um and but you know, you stay calm because you're like going, well, and looking on the looking in the the hotel window you're kind of like banging on the glass going like hey is anybody around uh let me in before i freeze to death and then i remember i'm like oh i've got the hotel key on me there's two keys on the keychain i hope that second key opens the front door and sure enough i go to the front door and the other key opened up the door and i was like okay i dodged a billet but lesson learned like don't screw up up here because the consequences can be pretty pretty nasty um but that was like nothing compared to what was about to happen, which the next day is when we were going to set off. We had to to ride like, it was like a two hour ride via snowmobile to get to this cabin where we were going to spend the night, you know, cabins, you know, a small thing that's generally unheated out. It's normally a summer cabin and um, riding on the back of the snowmobile, you know, we had two snowmobiles and they're carrying these big sleds called Comatics, which are like a freight sled. And some of the expedition members are riding in the sled, me and the videographer on the back of each of the snowmobiles. And now the temperature, you know, it went from, you know, negative 35 at the coast where we were. By the time we got to the cabin, it was negative 58. <laughs> and you're sitting on the sled just kind of like, bundled up and tucked in your your goggles are like frozen over you've got no skin exposed just going this is really cold <laughs> this cold where you feel it 
you know, as soon as like your hand, if they started to go numb, like you're just like trying to move them because you're like, oh man, like you don't want to get frostbite and you can feel your feet getting stiff and you're like kind of pounding your feet a bit and, um, and your core is just kind of cold. And in your head, you're just going to all these like, I'm in the desert. I'm, I'm in the Grand Canyon right now. I'm in Death Valley. Like this really isn't that cold. And, you know, your body's like, no, it is that cold. And your head's like, well, I'm just going to think of, think of other stuff or, you know, anything to get your mind off of how like uncomfortable you are and and one of the challenges of shooting in the arctic like i learned right off the bat is once we got to the cabin um and there was like a little kerosene heater in there but you know when it's 60 below it's what's it going to do raise the temperature 10 degrees you know like oh cool it's negative 50 wow this is warm yay <laughs> um so i go out and try to shoot the northern lights because the moon hadn't popped up you know trying to focus on the stars when you're just trying to focus on like not dying is tough. Like you're trying to adjust things and look to see, is that star in focus? And your you know, your hands, first of all, you have your batteries all stored in your jacket and like you quickly pop out a battery and then you're trying to focus. And by the time you get the camera focused and you've got like a little glove liner on, it's like your fucking hand is a brick already. And you're putting them in your pockets with your hand warmers and you're like, okay, here, let me push the button. And you look the first one, you're like, nope, start slowly out of focus. And you're trying to get it right. And then you push it again. You're like, well, I kind of see the northern lights, but I think that's okay. And by the time you take the third picture, you're like, I need to go back inside because I'm going to f- fucking die right now. Um, I'm just like, you can't, your hands are just like, it's so bad. And then I go inside with my camera. And because there's all those people, there's like six other people in, inside there who have been breathing instantly the entire camera body and lens elements ice over from the moisture (laughs) from everybody breathing so now you're looking at you know your camera and your lens and it's just encased in ice (laughs) and you're like i hope the sensor isn't encased but and then i i wound up yeah then just hanging my camera near that kerosene heater like right over the top of it until it finally it melted it off and evaporated all the water (laughs) And then you learn, yeah, you have to keep your cameras outside the entire time or else that will happen every time. They'll just freeze up. They'll freeze over. And if your sensor freezes over, then you're, then you're screwed because it's never going to melt. Um, but that's the thing. When you're, not in the, when you're out in the tents and camping, nothing will ever melt. <laughs> so it's like you leave the cameras outside all the time. It didn't matter that it was 50 below or 60 below. Like the camera, it didn't do anything to the camera as long as you take the battery in and out when you use it because the batteries would go from a full charge to like a half charge or less in minutes until you put it back in a pocket with a hand warmer or in the glove with a hand warmer then the charge would pop back up so it was a lot about battery management trying to shoot uh management of how long can you shoot before your fingers start to um there's like a point of no return and I did get frostbite on my thumb and a couple little fingers where one time, yeah, I shot too long and my fingers, you, you felt it like you're like, uh oh, it's like, I feel like it's freezing now. And something about when it defrosted, there was a certain kind of pain as it slowly radiated out to the ends where you're like, I think I, I pushed too far. Um, but, you know, the first night that we spent out in a tent, um, I've winter camped before, but like when you're sleeping on ice on a frozen lake, 
um, in those kind of temperatures, it's just, it's so cold. There's nowhere to go to warm up. Like your, your only heat was this little 1970s Coleman stove with a single burner. <laughs> um, you know, you're sitting there melting snow to make your dinner. Just me and the videographer are looking at each other. Jesse is his name. Just going, man, we got like six more nights of this. This is, this is going to be interesting. And I'm like sitting half in a negative 70 sleeping bag. I didn't even know they made negative 70 sleeping bags, but I was given one for the trip. Um, and yeah, you, you go to sleep that night and you're just as as good as a negative 70 bag is you're still cold like you're just still things at least de-thawed i wouldn't have the numb feet anymore but you're just you're not shivering but you're just uncomfortable all night but what was really cool was the next morning you wake up and and they were going to start their expedition um hiking over this pass i'm like well cool now i get to do some hiking as opposed to just you know sitting on a sled and the first thing you're noticing as you're going up over this pass you're following polar bear tracks <laughs> this is one of those moments that hits you like yeah i'm in the arctic now like these are actual like huge polar bear tracks and you see their claw imprints in the ground you see like big ones and you saw these little ones of cub and it was just a neat moment it's like one of those moments where all of a sudden you're like this is like a Nat Geo thing. You're like, this is like stuff you see when like you're a little kid, like polar bears and snow and the Arctic. And it's like, shit, you're here. You're actually here. You're this tiny figure in this giant landscape. And you're not the top of the food chain. <laughs> no joke. Um, it was fascinating. And it was fascinating to see how the bears operate. Like they picked the perfect line all the way through all these boulders and through the snow, because anytime you stepped outside of the tracks, it's almost like you sunk right into the snow. Like somehow they just knew they knew where to step. Um, it was just, it was neat. It was just a surreal experience. And then even like I got to the top of the pass before the rest of the people just kind of sitting up there, the sun's out for like six hours, but it's, it just stays low. It, it comes out, goes like a little bit above the peaks and then for the whole day so you're in this golden hour sitting in the sun it's super cold but you're just all alone the wind's kind of whipping through in this just foreign otherworldly landscape and you're like okay i see the lore of this like it's incredible suffering it's sort of like you're in heaven while in the bowels of hell because you know the, the elements are trying to kill you but you're in this just amazingly gorgeous place that you know very few people get the, you know, get to see it in that time of the year. So like you, 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 you feel the honor that you're lucky to be there. Um, and that whatever imagery you get, you know, will be pretty unique just because it's a place you just can't, most people, you just can't get to it. <laughs> There's a reason. Um, and at a certain point, like when you're going through like the hell of being so cold, and, you know, where things can go south real quick, like they can become critical. If you start getting hypothermic, like it's not like there's somewhere to go into, like you got to figure it out. You realize there's no eject button. Help is not coming. Uh, sometimes help could be days away, whether it's by snowmobile, like we had a sat phone, but even a helicopter can take days to get there because there's just, there's nothing up there. Um, 
And so you realize you rely on yourself and you realize you, you rely on your team members um, that you all are a team to get through stuff. But nobody can complain because, you, don't, you know, everybody's suffering just as bad as you are. So you don't want to be the weak link that's like, you know what I mean? Like complaining won't do you any good because the cold doesn't give a shit. <laughs> and um, you just kind of suck it up. And I think that's where, like, say, the ultra running came in, where you're just used to suffering for 100 miles or 200 miles. And you're like, okay, I can get through some pretty bad stuff. And, and in that environment, you're just like, you have to get through it because you actually can die if it goes the wrong way you'll you'll freeze to death or um you know we had a day our last day out where one of the snow i'm like riding on the snowmobile just tucked in there going up a pass and then all of a sudden you feel it tip and at a certain point it keeps tipping and you're like and you, you, know, you can't see because your ice has covered your goggles and you're like oh my god we're rolling over <laughs> and you feel the snowmobile roll over and next thing you know, your left leg, you just feel like the, the leg plate rest, foot rest, just come right across the top of your tibia, fibia. You know, and those things weigh a lot. <laughs> and you're like, okay, my leg's not broken, but I can't move it at all. Um, and then you've got like six people trying to, you know, freaking out going, oh my God, did you break your leg? I'm like, no, I'm fine. And, and everybody's trying to push the sled off and you're like, it's not moving. I still can't move my leg. And then finally, you know, they get the snowmobile off. And then all of a sudden you watch this fluid drain out of the snowmobile onto the snow. And you're like, oh shit, is that engine oil? Like, is that antifreeze? What just drained out? We're still like a hundred kilometers from like the end. If we, if one of our snowmobiles is dead, we're like screwed. <laughs> and I don't know what fluid it was, but eventually it, it still worked you know and then like and then like 40 minutes later we're going through a boulder field like pushing the snowmobiles and the sleds and their their freight sled the comatics through it and billy who's this inuit guy who's like 64 was was driving one and then you watch him roll over and then he lands and hits his head on a rock and is knocked out and we're like oh my god our guy is dead like because <laughs> he's just he's passed out and you know we're like you're just thinking this day just went from bad to obscenely worse. And, um, and he, he wound up coming to, and, um, and that was only, that was only still the, the morning and the day got even worse from there. Uh, it's just, it's such an inhospitable environment where Murphy's law is an act every single day. Things went wrong every day. Things were harder than you imagined every day. Um, I broke a tooth. Uh, one of the other expedition members' front tooth broke out. Because, you know, things are so cold, you'd bite on something and it just it snaps. Like, it's unlike anything. Like, shooting a 100-miler, 200-miler is tough. But, like, you're generally, yeah, and you might be in a rainstorm or some cruddy weather. But nothing, nothing competes to being in that kind of temperature 24 hours a day for, like, six straight days. Um it was probably the toughest thing I've ever had to like toughest week I've ever had to get through where like, it was amazingly fun, but so brutally tough to just function on any kind of level. Um, and even at the end of our trip, we, we got like, we're going up over a pass 
and one of the snowmobiles gets stuck and then it runs out of fuel and we're we're just done we you know obviously brought fuel to go 370 kilometers but we we're out of fuel so it's like okay we have to abandon that sled everybody else now is just going to go on one and then it's like we're riding up the pass i'm, I'm looking over the shoulder of billy who's driving going well our fuel gauge is on the last dot and the alarm is going off that it's running out of fuel and you're just like oh, this day won't end it's like one in the morning we finally get into town at two in the morning and the hotel of course is closed you know so now you got like five of us like just wandering around town dance, you know just trying to stay warm and we're just we're so chilled to the bone and like an hour later we found this um this sober youth center that was open 24 hours a day that would let us in and they offered us like coffee and food they're like you can spend the night here and it's just like thank you thank you like to just have gone from 50 below and now you're in a 75 degree room with all your clothes stripped off other than your bottom layer sipping coffee and hot chocolate and eating toast and bagels and stuff like that it was it was like a surreal ending to like the most insane week of my life <laughs> and again it's you know it's it's one of those things in 2015 when i picked up a camera i would have never imagined the places a camera could have taken me you know or anybody that gets into this thing like i think that was the beauty of it you just never you know you talk about suffering for your art you like you just don't know the places by putting in that time to get certain things, what it leads to, what paths it takes you down, you know, just like with you, like posting on Facebook, Hey, photographers, India, what do you got? And then I send you a message. I mean, that literally changed my life. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I I'm honestly kind of speechless right now after like hearing all like <laughs> the entire story and then, and knowing that there's more as well and like here i am sitting it's like 65 it's nice like i i'm super comfortable and imagining being in a temperature that's more than 100 degrees lower than what i'm sitting in right now and then having to function and operate i i, I just i honestly can't like fathom what that's like and how you're able to survive what was crazy too is i went straight from baffin island through three days of flights straight to black canyon 100k where uh, the girl i'm dating Kila, picked me up from the airport because she was going to be in arizona we we're supposed to meet yeah it was like a 130 degree temperature swing you know um yeah to go from negative 60 to 70 degrees and being in shorts you know it was like how what Although there were, oddly enough, there were times at Black Canyon that was cold. I don't know how that was even possible. <laughs> but yeah, it was a trip. It was an absolute trip. Um, and the amazing thing is like, you want to go back. You're like, okay, like I learned an absolute ton. I should give him a light. I learned a ton of tips and tricks, you know, because you just by the third day you start to figure out little systems and methods to try to to function better to at least do your job better to shoot better like you still you know are frozen and and things keep going wrong 
but you learned ways to to shoot a bit longer um and and whatnot you know so the next time i go back there like i'll hopefully have like maybe only 85 percent of the problems i had before (laughs) (laughs) only 85 (laughs) percent was that kind of was that kind of fun though to like because I feel like with a lot of shooting, it's sometimes it's kind of rinse and repeat. It's like, okay, it's golden hour. I've been here before. I know exactly what to do. Like yeah. temperatures are perfect. You don't really have a lot of like extreme variables. So yeah. is it fun to have to put together a puzzle with so many things that can go wrong, both to you and the people you're shooting? Yeah, um, that was that was a super fun challenge because not only was the environment something like so different, um, sort of the subject the mode of travel was uh was super different um just everything about that trip was different other than i was going to be shooting people figures on a landscape you know um but figuring out like how you want to approach it that was that was the interesting thing because you're thinking in your head you're like well this is sort of like Nat Geo type stuff, you know, like the things you, you know, Jimmy Chin or whatever, like you, and you know, you kind of get an idea in your head of what other people have done, and you're like, well, do I want to kind of like, you know, is there certain kinds of shots you want to get, or, you know, so I mean, it's sort of like anything I think of, like you, you, I pre-visualize stuff, you know, like what is it that I want to capture, you know, and then when you're out there, you're trying to like pull those shots that you've thought about while you're in bed at night um or awake in the day or whatever but at the same time you get frustrated because there's things you want to do and you're physically like again the northern light shots like i was really wanting to get just an absolute banger northern lights but it was like every night when you got back into a tent or this little shack and it's you know 60 below you're like I can't get out of my bag to go out and take this shot because I'm still recovering from the day of being frozen. You know, it's, it really got, that part got frustrating. There were shots you wanted to get, but you were at the time you were just so physically discomfort that you're like, if I go to try to get this right now, like I don't, I'm going to, I might lose body parts. I don't know. Um, I, you know, for the next time. Yeah. I learned stuff to make it work you know but the first time you go to something so far and yeah you're gonna get your ass kicked um and you do the best you can and um and that was that was a lot of the fun of it and it's been fun over the last few weeks just slowly going through the images and pulling stuff out and you know a lot of stuff you forgot you got and you know you're like you know at the time you're like oh god i hope i told the story okay i can't tell because you were just trying you're trying to get shots and a lot of times you're just doing the best you can because you're like, I, I, I've got 30 seconds to get this shot before my hands become non-functional, you know, and you know, you're trying to maybe run ahead of somebody, but you know, running when it's that cold, you're not really running, you know, it's just, there's a lot of, a lot of hurried rushed things because you're just so, so far out of your comfort zone. Like it's just insanity. And, um, but you know, so far everything I've seen, it's just turned out way better than I imagined. You know, some stuff I wish I would have done different, but um, yeah, it's such a, it's a cool challenge and it was lucky to get an opportunity like that. And I, I actually can't wait till the next times. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not ready to be that cold right now, 
like if you said go back tomorrow i'm like mm, maybe no I, I probably would do it anyway but <laughs> oh my gosh oh, that that's crazy I, i've only seen a couple of your images i saw like the polar bear track one which is super cool i think ray shared that as well so yeah it's really cool yeah. to see that but it's like i'm excited to see the rest of the images that you took out there because now knowing especially part of the backstory like yeah. how much suffering went in to like capture this little brief moment of the trip it's it's gonna be cool to see all those photos yeah i i, I hope to get them done pretty soon um and then i'll share a lot more and i, I want to like post like maybe a daily series of of them and 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 the story behind them and you know and part of the struggle of the trip wasn't so much for me but there's this, there's the light was for ray because you know he's going through chemo and one of the um one of the caveats was he can't get frostbite because if he gets frostbite you get an infection if you're going through chemo and you get an infection like bad stuff happens um so like there was a period on a really windy day like they were pinned down in their tent for 40 hours because it was crazy winds and when you take the temperature plus the wind chill you know you had wind chills up to negative 115 um which yeah you know everything freezes instantly um so some of the expedition stuff got wound up getting cut short because he just couldn't take the frostbite risk um whereas his other expeditions he didn't care if he got frostbite like it was just part of the gig or something like that um and uh you know uh, there, there's some stuff coming up that's going to be pretty insane when it comes to fruition like i'm super excited about because it it involves that environment but it also involves kind of my some of my favorite things in the universe um which if anybody knows me they, they know they've got four legs and fur so <laughs> it'll be really interesting but he hasn't talked about that trip so that's not for me to discuss but um yeah there's there's a lot of cool stuff coming up. It'll be interesting cool. to see where it takes. We will get to go back um, to Baffin in September, though, um, for a guided trip where he guides people across the island. And the cool thing about that is then I will get to photograph polar bears because the polar bears are all over the place in the summer. Um, and yeah, we have protection, you know, flare, you know, we have shotguns that have flares and slugs and you don't, you don't try to hurt them. You just try to scare them. They're around them if they're going to threaten you, but that's going to be exciting to, to see actual polar bears <laughs> yeah. and, not in a zoo, and not in a zoo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's quite a bit different when it's like, okay, you're in the middle of nowhere and there's a polar bear just thinking, oh, hey, there's food. And yeah. you could just instantly die. And like, even if it was just like a little bit of something, it's like that could kill you out there. And a lot like, different than you eating a pretzel and a Coke or something. Right, right. Well, like, here's here's like a quick story. Um, Billy, the the Inuit guide, was telling us. So he was, it was either him or somebody else was guiding clients in the summer. And um, they had an electric fence around the tents. And a, a bear a polar bear came into the camp just stepped right over the electric fence like it was whatever and then swats his claw down through a tent grabs a dude by his skull with his claw and drags him off into the darkness and you know screaming and everything and so the guides go out into the darkness they fire a bunch of flare guns scares the bear off they, they pull the guy back to camp um, he's like scalped and bloody and, but he's alive. And it took two days, two days for a helicopter to come out for the rescue. And the guy was, 
you know, they stabilized them, I guess. And, but as they're pulling the people out one by one into the helicopters, the bears are coming in from all sides to the camp. And as they get the last guy out, the bears finally overran the camp. Like the bears would have probably potentially killed everybody in the, in the group. Um, but they got rescued at the last minute. But that was two days. And that was in summer. Two days it took for a rescue. Like, yeah, it's, it's a different environment, different world out there. You know, it's, it's no different than anything out here. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. And it kind of makes like our wilderness areas to sound like a, a park, like Central Park or something. It's like, yeah, yeah. We're, we're remote, but I still have cell phone right. service. Where out there, it's like, it's literally like live or die. Like, this is not really yeah. in between, right? Yeah, they're crazy. Yeah, the 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 line is 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 small between like things are great to like all of a sudden it's like no, this is gonna go this can go really bad right now and there's nothing you can do to stop it. <laughs> um yeah, you become kids that was yeah, that's you become keenly aware of that, which is kinda neat and terrifying at the same time <laughs> yeah i imagine it's very humbling to suddenly like like here in the states you're basically an apex predator like you were saying and get out right. there and like you're just you're just puppy child basically for all like the ma- massive wildlife there and specifically polar yeah. bears i should say yeah but, polar bears yeah there's there's a few things out there that'll potentially be an issue <laughs> that's wild well then i yeah. i know we both gotta get going um we've been chatting for a while it was crazy to hear all your stories um when you guys yeah. go back, I want to talk to you again about it. I know I'll see you before then, but I definitely oh, yeah. want to hear more. And um, this is really fascinating to me, partly because it's an environment I never will go to. And I know <laughs> a lot of people are the same way. And it's cool to hear these stories just coming straight from, from the horse's mouth, so to say. Yeah, horse's ass, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's not what I said, but okay. <laughs> no, that's, no, I just, yeah. Yeah, cool, no, thanks man. for the thanks for the opportunity to talk it's we've been wanting to do this for a while so it's super fun i appreciate yeah. it yeah for sure man it's fun to chat and like i really do enjoy your work so like where can people um see your stuff and find you um you can find me on instagram at how Stern photo um i have a website it's mainly for race photo sales but it's how um eventually i will have another site that's just like portfolio stuff and whatnot but cool Usually, like most of the stuff is on on my Instagram. Awesome, cool man. Um, cool. Yeah, let's catch up. Probably see you soon at some event. Now that it's getting warm here, so. Yeah, totally. I'll be progress. at a. I think Cocodona. Maybe I'll see you there. Oh, sick! Yeah, I'll be at Cocodona for sure. Yeah, I'll see you there then. Awesome, and I won't complain about the cold up on Eldon. <laughs> <laughs> I, I won't. I won't be. Ju- <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sounds good, dude. We'll talk later. All right. Catch you later.